it was like seven times the demons came inside of me and I went on the biggest drug crystal meth binge that I had ever been in my life. I remember driving down the street and I went by this little church and I was struggling. I had been up for like maybe three weeks. I parked and I go, it was a, a Catholic church, of course. You said, if I asked anything in your name, that you would take away my addiction. Why isn't it going away? Hey, my friends, do you know how it's said that for those who are forgiven much, much is expected and they love much. Well, there is a guy who I've met who is just overflowing with zeal and love for the Lord. As because he was forgiven much, he's not just a prodigal son returned from having done one thing. Get this. He was an ex-gang member. He was an ex-drug dealer and an addict, of course. He was ex-convict. He was an ex-murderer. He's an ex-criminal, an ex-Jehovah Witness person, um, and then also an ex-homeless person. He's an ex-Protestant, that's a Calvinist, anti-Catholic Protestant, uh, and then became a Catholic. We're going to give you this in two parts. Stay tuned for part one of this John Henry Weston show with Eric Tafoya. Hello, friends. To celebrate the momentous overturning of Roe v. Wade, we at LifeSite have minted just under 10,000 of these brand new limited edition pro-life silver rounds. Now, each round is stamped with the image of the Supreme Court of the United States featuring the date that the High Court delivered this historic victory. And on the front of our pure silver rounds, LifeSite's logo surrounded by a brilliant sunburst and draped with olive branches. They, of course, commemorate our 25-year anniversary of LifeSite News. We began in 1997 in September, so September of 2022 was 25 years. These one ounce silver rounds are available from our partners at stjosephspartners.com where you can fulfill all of your silver and gold needs in this perilous time. May God bless you. Eric Tafoya, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Um, it's, a, it's a privilege. It's an honor to be able to be here. Yeah, you know, it's awesome because the devil doesn't want us to have joy. He doesn't want us to, to share the, the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. So I'm Eric Tafoya. YouTube channel, the traditional urban Christian, where I share the faith. And it's not just by, oh, I'm out here sharing the faith. It's that God's love and mercy that was showed to us from the cross right here. And um, that's the only reason why I'm here right now. So I want to tell you, thank you, because this is a very humbling experience. I was in this car. I was in my car this morning listening to the mass and just really just sometimes people can take our zeal and what God's done in our life and think that, oh, that you're, you're being proud, Eric. You're too proud, Eric. Why are you always preaching the gospel, Eric? Why are you always in your scriptures, Eric? Why are you always? And I'm like, oh, my brothers and sisters, like I converted to the faith, but God's done so much for me. It's like, you know, the story of the two people that were forgiven. Uh, one, let's just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of like paraphrase it, but one was forgiven $500. The other one was forgiven $5 million. And Jesus asked him, well, which one do you think is going to, you know, receive that forgiveness more? And looks at the apostles and they tell him, well, the one who was forgiven more, you know, of course, hey, common sense. Hey, he was forgiven five million. He's, of course, he's going to be forgiven more. Jesus goes, yes. Well, those who have been forgiven more, well, they have more to give. They have more to share. And that's where my passion and my zeal comes from. Because there was a time in my life where I was literally tore up from the floor up. I was beat up from the feet up. Right before we get to that, Eric, let's let's start with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. 
Amen. 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 So pick up from there. You were telling us uh, about your past. And I said in the intro, you know, people aren't going to believe <laughs> your, your, your past, where you came from. But I think it's so good to tell us about that so that can, people can realize there's hope. Amen. You know, so I was raised out here in San Bernardino, California. It's a, it's a metropolitan area of Los Angeles. And so I was raised up at a time where, yeah, my mom was great. So I, I don't want to just act like, oh, yeah, I had this horrible life. My mom was great. But from a young age, I was away from my mom. So drugs, I was living with my dad. My dad, rest his soul. Pray for me, dad. Um, I know he's in heaven praying for me right now. Um, it's been a few years or I pray for his soul. However, it may be if he's still on his journey through purgatory. But like dr drugs, um, gangs, very involved in drugs and gangs, very involved for a large part of my life. I started using drugs when I was 12 years old, got affiliated with my gang when I was 13. Incarceration started to happen at the same time at a young age, homelessness, all the vices that people have. I probably had them, um, all those deadly sins. They were a part of my life and they weren't just a part of my life, but they had grown to be a part of who I was, the hate, the lust, just everything that I was doing that was opposite of what God wanted to do in my life. I could never find my identity. All the Ten Commandments, I violated them. And I violated not just violated the ten of them, but I had violated them over and over and over again. Self-proclaimed atheist, agnostic, in and out of incarceration for most of my life. Um, praise God that there's been a change in that. But most of my life, in and out of incarceration, I could never see the light. I always saw hate. I always wanted to hate people. I never had a smile on my face. I was never joyful. Um, and But praise God that he does do things in our life that changes that. And so I struggled for many years, struggled for it um, through my atheism, through being agnostic. I never could get it right. I lived in Arizona. I lived in New Mexico. I lived in Northern California. I was kicked around from every single family member, and they just couldn't get a hold of me um, growing up. It was always kept from person to person, nobody could understand why I was so crazy. Mental, they, this is what psychologists would say that it was mental health, that I was bipolar, that I was schizophrenic, that I would be, never be able to take care of myself, that I would never be self-sufficient. And so there was these, and people literally would say that I was a demon, my family members. And so they, a lot, at one time, they just all started shunning me because of these struggles that I was having in my life. And so then finally, one time when I was incarcerated, over the years after battling, it was, it was a hard battle. It was like, I can't explain living on the streets for a year, how that was. I can't explain struggling with heroin addiction, slamming heroin. I was using heroin and I was using cocaine at the same time, smoking crystal meth, um, smoking marijuana all the time, cigarettes, alcoholism, pills, ecstasy, acid, everything that you could think about, I would do them. And it was like, I wanted to go full fledged. It was almost like I was drowning out this shame that I had inside of me. And I never realized it because I never loved me. Ever seemed like I left a terror of destruction everywhere I went. Every woman that I would date, every one of my family members I was using and manipulating. So just to know the full extent of who I was, kind of like that man we were talking about in the Bible who was living amongst the graves. I was thrown off to live with the dead. Uh, I believe it was in the city of Decapolis. There's two names for that city, actually, in scriptures. But I'll go with the Decapolis one, where he has a legion of demons inside of him. And nobody wants to be around him. They even said that he had shackles on him because he was he was locked up. 
He was. They wanted to take, put shackles on him and throw him amongst the dead because we just cannot deal with this man no more. His family members probably put him there and he was living amongst them. And what he was doing is he was getting rocks. He was bashing himself, it said. And there were scars all over his body and lacerations all over him. And it's kind of like I was doing that to myself, but within my soul from all the things that I was doing, um, living that certain lifestyle, um, being that person that I was being, I was torturing myself. I was hurting myself and I just didn't love myself at all. And that's what it dealt, That's what it stemmed from, a non-love of myself, but only by falling at Jesus's feet and asking Jesus for help was the legion of demons able to be taken out of that man because he actually cries out to Jesus before the demons take hold and start talking to Jesus, asking Jesus what he's doing there and to take him out and put him in the pigs. But that man went to Jesus's feet on his own. And that's what it takes sometimes is like, we have to be contrite and go to Jesus's feet. But it's not like this was like the first time. So like, this wasn't the first time that I was going to Jesus's feet though. So even like I said, I was atheist, I was agnostic. While I was incarcerated, we have a lot of time to read scriptures. We have a ton of time to be in the Bible because you're locked in your cell most of the time. And so while being in there, I actually started studying with Jehovah Witnesses. And so at one time I was an unbaptized publisher, reading through their doctrinal books, what the Bible teaches, drawing close to Jehovah. And so they because they try to engrave reasoning from scriptures. They try to start engraving a certain type of doctrinal teachings on you that's not necessarily scripturally based, but manipulating you to believe and to learn how to use tactics to talk to people so that you can help them capitulate away from their, especially um, Catholics. They're extreme um, anti-Catholics, the Jehovah Witnesses. And so I did study with them. It was about a good year while I was incarcerated. So I started really getting grounded in their scriptures and they are keen on you reading the Bible all the time. But as I was reading the Bible, I was reaching, I, I could, I, I know God, you, I understand who you are, God. Things started transforming in my heart. At this time, at this time, I'm only like about, mm, I'm about 26, 27 years old at the time. And so as I'm reading the scriptures, I have a new world translation, but I also have a new King James, a good news Bible, uh, the message and an NIV. So I'm reading them all at one time. And then I started thinking, why do these four other Bibles that I have, even if they say Catholic, even if one's um, literal, the other ones are like, um, they're not so literal, they're more of about a message. Um, why do they still have the same scripture soundings like in John 1? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Why is that in these four, and why is it in this one? Why do I feel like the Holy Spirit speaks to me and it's not just a force? And so all these things started going through my head. And so you might want to clarify there because in the Jehovah's Witness Bible, it talks about the word was with God and the word was a God. It's a very small change, but very significant one. Yeah. And they also say that the Holy Spirit isn't a person. They say that the Holy Spirit is a force. So it's the force of God and that the Holy Spirit, you don't interact like I know the Holy Spirit lives within me and it utters things like in the scriptures it says that it utters things that my mind can't fathom it speaks on my behalf the holy spirit and so i read other scriptures where the holy spirit was being lied to in acts and you know he because he said why did they lie to god and they were killed because they weren't giving all their money in anias and sapphira yeah Sapphira and anias and and so i saw this it was evident jesus said i have to ascend so that the holy spirit can descend he's our comforter the paracleto 
he was he was going to be he was going to come to comfort us and give us guidance and so i saw those things and i was like okay you know what let me venture away a little bit and i had a calvinist friend at the time and so i and i everything he was speaking i was like hey I dig it. He even went back 400 years in history. I'm like, hey, this guy is kind of cool right here. Like, it's not a, it's not a 200 year history, or because you know John, Charles Taze Russell um, is the one who founded um, the Jehovah Witnesses. I actually saw a kind of history in that. I'm big on history. I love history, but it's funny because at that time I still didn't go back to the original church. At that time, I started studying underneath him. I wasn't really big on the tulip system, um, so like the reprobate. Um, I uh, uh, was it called unlimited atonement, um, the reprobate, um, those being chosen, perseverance of the saints. Ah, I grasped it a little bit, but I wasn't really big on their foundational teachings right there, especially we're saying like the one big one was the reprobate, because I read in the scriptures that God has given everybody an opportunity for salvation that we have to choose. And I also saw free will in the Bible, and I see that we can choose if salvation or not choose it, God's not forcing us to follow him. And so the reprobate is saying that God created individuals as babies. There is nothing they can do to change their way of salvation. They have been created to go to hell. Some have been created to go to heaven and some have been created to go to hell. And it just didn't sit right with me. And so like, I'm about to get out of incarceration at that time. And I start, I go backwards actually. I'm like, all right, you know what? Let's just go to a kingdom hall. I feel familiar with them. I studied with them for a year. Let's just go to a kingdom hall. But as I get out, as I get out, I move to San Diego and I'm invited to go to a non-denominational church. Remember, I'm still anti-Catholic because being a Calvinist, anti-Catholic, right? the Roman Catholic church is the, the antichrist, the beast, you know, the, 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 the whore of Babylon. <laughs> and so these were things that were infused in my mind. And I was actually, I'm Forgive me, Father, but there was a lot of Catholics that I that capitulated actually left the faith because of things that I would tell them. Oh, look what the Bible says. Let me show you what the Bible says because they're not rooted and grounded in Scripture. And the Bible's our book. It's a Catholic book. And so as I got out, I went to a non-denominational evangelical church. I remember the first day I went up to the altar. I gave my life to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I even fell. I even fell backwards. <laughs> You know, believing this, it was this emotional rush, you know, that that I was going through, especially when they dimmed the lights at the end. And then they actually, because I became a leader at this church, I was there for a couple of years, they will actually turn down the air conditioning. So as they're going into these prayer moments, the lights go dim, you're singing this, but praise, hey, praise God for praise music. I love praise music. I'm totally not knocking that. My our evangelical brothers and sisters, non-denominational, I love them. They're a big part of who, who I became, but they'll turn down the air conditioning so you start getting the goosebumps you know and you start getting this feeling that something is spectacular happened even though something is happening for them you know god's working somehow inside of it but i still struggled with the with jehovah witnesses with the calvinists while i was incarcerated i was still using drugs in there and even when i got out and i became a leader at this non-denominational church i struggled because first they weren't grounded in doctrine it's all about feelings and motivational speeches and nothing wrong with that because I'm a, I'm a motivational speaker myself. But when we're going to, the, when we have the word of God, we should be grounded in what the Trinity is, what the Annunciation is, what our salvation is, or how we can find salvation in scriptures more than just a, a public declaration of saying, oh, I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And now all of a sudden you're saved for the rest of your life. 
they don't teach you the grounding of it, especially what we believe as Catholics. I was saved today. I'm saved right now. But tomorrow's not promised because I can choose a lifestyle that's not of God and, and fall into my sins. And I'm no longer a part of the kingdom right there because we know nothing unholy can enter the kingdom. But while I was a non-denominational, I continued to struggle in my drug addictions. I was like using all week long. It was just crystal meth at this time. I was selling a lot of marijuana too at the time. Always struggling, never never able to get it right. Bible studies during the week, go to church on Sunday, everybody thinks I'm on fire. Yeah. Yeah, I was on fire because I was I was strung out on drugs. Like I could never get right. I was still being an abusive person, even though I was saying I was of God, I was still living in the world, could never get things right. And so my marriage, I was actually married at the time. It fell apart. Um, she dissolved the marriage and I ended up moving out to San Bernardino, still an anti-Catholic because this church was probably 70% ex-Catholics out in San Diego, you know, just predominantly um, Mexican-Americans or Mexicans that would go, Latinos, Hispanics that were going to that church. 10,000 member church, huge church. I saw it grow big time, but there was really no grounding. So there's a large turnover, um, a large turnover. It's constantly new people are coming, new people are going. You really don't, can't really get a grasp of who people are there because it's just so big and major. So I ended up moving to San Bernardino, because I, I was trying to get something new. I was still struggling with my addictions. I was trying to get clean. Once again, I started living with another woman, going back to my same tactics, using crystal meth. But everybody around me thinks that, oh, he's sober. He's he's on fire for Jesus Christ. Start another. I've become a part of another leadership out here at a non-denominational church. Actually, a couple of them. I start frequenting Bible studies at my house, living with a woman in sin, fornication. We're not married. She was actually Catholic. And I took every single Catholic, um, for, once again, forgive me, Father, Blessed Virgin, forgive me, pray for me. Um, I actually took every single crucifix she had. I took every picture of Mama Mary off the walls, either shredded them up or threw them away or broke them. I was very anti-Catholic, very anti-Catholic. I just thought, hey, you're worshiping all these idols. I feel like this was her home. This wasn't my home. I was still living on the streets. I was actually homeless again at that time. And this woman took me in. She thought I was a good person. I was kind of like portraying that I had my life together. And I, and I really didn't. Um, God God be with her soul and any other person that I've ever hurt in my life. I, I pray for them all the time that God can create a healing in their life the same way he has done in my life. And so, But it's cool because this woman, this would be the start of the change in my life. This would be the start of something different that's going to happen in my life. She had two friends that were actually Catholics. At the moment, I didn't know they were converts from evangelicalism. And he was actually in the seminary at one time at Southeast Seminary out in with Doug Beaumont. Doug Beaumont's a convert to the faith too, with Doug Beaumont actually on the East Coast in Carolina. And a bunch of seminarians were actually reading through the church fathers. I think it was about like 10, 10 or 11 of them actually converted to the faith. It's called Crossing the Tiber. It's a bunch of different, the evangelical exodus crossing the Tiber. His name is J Joshua Bentcourt. Actually, I like to say jo chaplain Joshua Bentcourt because he's the head lay chaplain at St. Jude's Hospital out here in Fullerton. Still my brother to this day. But at that moment, I didn't know that he had written books against the Catholic Church. And then now he had written books for the Catholic Church. At the time, I didn't know that. So I even remember leaving the Bible open in the restroom and I highlighted do not call nobody father. 
except for your father in heaven. You know, those quirky things that we as as Protestant we would use and try to, you know, thinking we can get over on our brothers. And now I know the truth of all those answers. But little places around the whole house, I would leave different ones of my Bibles open, highlighted, you know. <laughs> and so nobody's perfect except for God and except for Jesus and stuff like that just to try to get him. But he was so loving. He was so compassionate. He was so reasoning with me. And he never raised his voice. Even when I started getting huffy and puffy and the things that he was saying about Protestantism weren't sitting right with me. I almost got to the point where I was going to hit him, to be honest with you, because he was answering every question. I was ready to just pink. You know, I was. I'm there. Forgive me. But it's, it's just the truth. I was going to. And he was so patient. I even walked out. And then he walked out with me and he prayed for me. And he goes, hey, bro, you want to come back and we can continue talking? I'm just answering what, and at this time, he's still not telling me that he's a convert. He's still not telling me he's a convert. Him and his wife, he, they're not telling me that. Actually, he was, um, he was one of the, he lived right at Virgin Most Powerful Studios. That's where actually I'm at right now, filming um, this right now. I'm in this, the backdrop of here. If you see, it's um, Terry Barber's show. So they allowed me to come in here right now. I'm an intern with um, Virgin Most Powerful Radio, but he was living here. So they, they invited me one time to a, um, it was, I thought it was mass because I, they had invited me to go and I'm like, you know what, this couple's so nice and loving, like, I'm going to try it. And so like, I went to mass with them one time and then they invited me to, I thought was a mass here at Sacred Heart Chapel in Covina at where Virgin Most Powerful Studios is actually right behind Sacred Heart Chapel, Our Lady of Grace. They have Latin Mass here too. They invited me to, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? Cool, they're like, we'll take you out to lunch and everything. But when I got here to the chapel, it was a conversion story. There was a man named Fred Krause who was a chaplain for the Los Angeles Police Department. And he was a bodybuilder. And another man were giving their conversion stories. And man, I'm listening to it and I'm like, I start getting upset. Like I start getting so mad. I actually walk out and I kick the pew and I, and I storm on out and I walk around this, this little city of Covina right here. It's a pretty big city in LA. I start walking around it a little bit. And as I come back in the front of the, ch this is an older church, the sacred heart chapel, probably a hundred years old, very beautiful, very beautiful Latin mass. They have there. It's just, yeah, I just really love it in the front, the restrooms outside. So the restaurant outside of it, it's not inside of the chapel. It's on the outside. It's like old, old. And so as I'm standing out there, I'm kind of mad. And this old lady walks out. And I, you know, I love telling this story because I'm back right here again, talking to you right now from the same area where like something really started changing in my heart and my soul, where God still really started reaching out. But she came out and she's like, what are you doing out here? And I'm like, I'm mad. Like I'm Protestant. You know, like I'm claiming it, like I'm Protestant all the way. And what they're saying in there is against what my doctrinal teachings and what I believe the Bible teaches us. And she didn't combat that. All she told me was that God has brought you here for a reason. You're right here right now for a reason. Just open up your heart and allow God to move. Just listen. And she gives me the biggest hug. She doesn't even know me, you know, and I'm all tatted down. You know, then I had a short sleeve at the time and I got tattoos like this on me at the time, not as many as I have now, but I did have tattoos right there. And she gives me the biggest hug in the world. Doesn't see me for this person that's upset. She just gives me this big hug and she squeezes me and she walks in and she goes, come on when you want, come on in when you want. And at the time 
around around the church and it was grass it's all concrete now but there was a blessed virgin mary statue that was out there and i walked up to mama and i i now i call her mama but i walk up to this statue and i look her in the eyes and i'm crying now now i'm i'm in a full trance and i i literally say why do they have you out here if they are so into Jesus, if they're Christians, like everybody's saying, why do they have you out here? And I was like, kind of upset. And then just something flowed through my system where I felt it like this thing and like this premonition came over me was like, my your your eternal salvation came from my womb. That's why they respect and honor me. That's why I'm right here. And it's like something like clicked in my head at that moment. Boom. And I was like, you know what? You know, you're right. Jesus came from your womb, and Moses, Moses couldn't even see the backside of God without turning all white and shining and hair turning white and everything, but she held God in her womb. Just a quick note before we return. If you would like to stay up to date on LifeSite's coverage of the latest life, family, and culture news, subscribe to one of our many newsletters by going to lifesitenews.com slash subscribe. And if you'd like to help us bring our truth-telling coverage to millions around the world, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation at give.lifesitenews.com. And now, back to the video. All right, so I went back in there, enjoyed the enjoyed the rest of the conversion stories when it had a meal actually joined RCIA after that too at Saints Peter and Paul in Altaloma started going to RCIA still struggling with my addictions because I just I just couldn't get it right and I was and everybody thought at RCIA oh yeah he's really going through and I did it for about three months and then I went to a Crisillo have you ever heard of that before the Crisillo movement Decolores if you've ever done it before, Decalore is anybody out there too. And so I went to a Crisillo movement. It was for four days. For those four days, I was clean. I didn't bring no drugs with me. I was clean. I was sober. At the end of that four days, I didn't want to go. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I was begging, Lord, please, I don't want to leave. Like, leave me here. I don't want to struggle with what I'm going through. Like, I know once I go back into the world again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be lost. I'm not going to be able to find myself, Lord, please help me, you know, and but I had to go. I couldn't stay. It was at Divine Word Seminary with the SVD order. Um, we have them out here, um, Divine Word order. And so I left and it was like when you clean up your house, if you don't protect your house, when you clean it out and you leave your door wide open again, it was like seven times the demons came inside of me and I went on the biggest drug crystal meth binge that I had ever been in my life I had never struggled so hard like this I went I had never gone under a 140 pounds I was 120 pounds I was living from house to house I started gang banging again started using drugs out of control I always had a big sack on me of, of crystal meth selling it using it um, just being with a lot of different women using them for their homes going from place to place on top of the woman that I was supposedly being with at that time, just completely lost. And so what happened was I picked up a, they, they say it was a domestic violence. Me and her were struggling in the house. I was losing my mind because I had gone back to her apartment and I was losing my mind. I was really like, I wanted to kill myself. I just didn't know what was going on. I just, you know, when you don't sleep for weeks on end, it truly has a mental result on you. The consequences are bad. When you're not eating, you're not sleeping. The consequences are dread, especially when demons are attacking you there's nothing that you can do and so she finally got out of the house 
And in this struggle, I know this is this. Is, I like to add to this because I want people to know how bad I was. I literally jumped out of a two-story window butt naked because I felt like I couldn't go out the front door because the cops were going to come and get me. And I didn't want to get incarcerated. So I grabbed my keys to the van I had, jumped out the two-story window, scratched my back up and everything, took off. And you think you know, I was going to try to get right. I didn't. I continued living that way for another couple of weeks. And one day I remember driving down the street and I went by this little church and I was struggling. I had been up for like maybe three weeks, um, you know, may at least three weeks, something like that. I remember going by this church and I, I parked and I go, it was a, a Catholic church, of course. Our Lady of the Rosary is actually the name of it. And it's it's actually it's actually my home now. That's what's so that's what's so beautiful about it, that place where I cried out to God. You said, if I ask anything in your name, that you would take away my addiction. Why isn't it going away? Why do I still have this addiction? Please, I beg. I'm crying, begging him. The door was open because they always have 7 a.m. mass. And I didn't go in there. I didn't go in there. I, I just told Eric, just go in there. Just ask for help. You just need help. And I didn't. So I went to another woman's house. I fell asleep for like maybe two hours and I woke up to her going through my pockets. But that day I begged God, I begged God to please take this away from me. I begged him. I did. I please. You said if I ask anything, you would take it away. I go to her house. I wake up. She's going through my pockets looking for drugs. I actually, this is how bad I was. I grabbed her by her neck. I threw her up against the wall. And I was like, what are you doing? Why are you going through my pockets? She's like, oh, I'm just looking for some money or some drug. I know that's what she was looking for. She said she was just trying to fold up my clothes. And so, you know what? In my head, I flash and I go, what are you doing, Eric? You got to get clean. And so I gave her a little bit of money that I had. I gave her the drugs that I had. I knew I had to get clean. I was out of control. My mind, this binge that I had been on, like I was still fighting. It was like that man that was going to Jesus's feet. And he wanted it. He was struggling because he had a thousand demons in him, but it didn't stop him from approaching Jesus and falling to his knees right there. And so I was like, man, Eric, you got to get clean. I got to go to my grandma's house. When I went to my grandma's house, this was August 19, 2015. I go to my grandmother's house now. And I don't know at the moment, but this, but the Rancho Cucamonga Sheriff's Department is staking out my grandmother's house. This is weeks after that incident that I had and I jumped out the window. This is about two and a half weeks later. And so I go there, I go into my grandma's house, I start crying to her. I say, she goes, oh, you look good, mijo. I know I did. I weighed 120 pounds. I look sick. I was a sick man. I'm 185 pounds right now. I was a sick man. I was, I was lost. I was confused. I was living for the devil. Uh, everything that I was doing wasn't healthy at all, but she was still trying to motivate me. And she told me, hey, son, can you, uh, will you please go and get your car and park it on the street so I can go and get us some food? And I'm like, yeah, for sure. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. So I went to go parallel park my car. And as I went to go parallel, parallel, parallel park my car, an unmarked SUV comes from behind me and actually hits me from behind lightly. Boom. And I got the music on loud, but when I look in my rear view mirror, I noticed that two men are jumping out, one with a shotgun and one with a pistol, but they're dressed in regular clothes. At the time, I didn't know they were police officers. At the time, I, I didn't know that because they were in, they were not clothed in police gear. And so as I see that, I put my car in drive because like I told you, I was gangbanging. I was collecting drug debts. I probably had owed like $2,000 in drug debts. I was just saying, oh yeah, I got to give me the, give me the drugs and I'll go sell it. And I was just using it. 
I was partying and using, and I kept on collecting more and more and more, and finally got to a point where I owed about a couple thousand dollars, and I thought that, that those were these men trying to get me, because just a, a week before that, I had gotten chased down and actually lacerated my shin, running away from them on a nail that was on a fence, and I was bleeding so bad, I was hiding in a shed, I threw all these clothes on me, so I thought it was those same individuals trying to get me, and so immediately I take off, I start going down a couple blocks, this is in Loma Linda, California, um, my life will never be the same again after this incident that I'm about to tell you right now. And as I'm on a, as I'm on this chase, I think it's just a chase. I look in my rearview mirror because I'm driving in my rearview mirror, and I notice that it's actually cops. Because now I see a light, a, a light is going on in that SUV. There is a light on the inside of the window, and it actually. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, they're cops, you know. And but as soon as I see that, I look forward and I'm crossing a street and it's red and I'm about to hit the back of an, uh, a red a red vehicle and I jump into the bike lane. And as soon as I jump into the bike lane, a very beautiful man, um, Randolph Stevenson, pray for me, Randolph Stevenson, pray for me. Um, a very beautiful man was going to lose his life because as soon as I went into the bike lane, um, I hit him and I hit him and he died pretty much instantly. Um, but my life will never be the same again. Change in my life is going to happen from this moment forward. So I get arrested and I'm fighting um, 15 years to life now. I'm fighting 15 years to life in prison. And I, th I never think I'm going to see the light of the day again. So now I'm actually going through uh, like, oh, I'm pitting myself. Because I want to be transparent of like what was going on at that moment. I'm pitting myself. I'm thinking, oh, poor me, you know, I'm trying to make up all kinds of lies that I wasn't actually the person that did this, that I was set up and blah, blah, blah. That's what we all do when we're living that criminal lifestyle, trying to be, we're trying to be like the slanderer, like the accursor, like the devil. We're trying to weasel our way out of things. And it got to the point where I saw, man, you're not going to be able to weasel your way out of this. And I was going to hang myself. I just said, you know what, you know what, I'm going to hang myself. I'm just, I'm just going to give up on life. And because I know that I'm, I don't want to spend life in prison. That's, that was my mentality. Not thinking about that man's family, not thinking about Randy's family, Randolph Stevenson, not thinking about the hurt that I had caused in the community that I had caused in my family. I was once again, being the selfish person, just like the enemy. He's selfish. He doesn't think about nobody else. They had that Satan con that's so dumb. Because Satan doesn't even care about us. He wants us to see our demise. He doesn't want to see joy in our hearts. And so while I'm in there, I, I create a noose. My son doesn't want to talk to me. I got a 17-year-old son. At that time, he doesn't want to talk to me. He's rejecting me. A lot of my family were like, oh, I thought you were a Christian. What's going on? How did? How could you do this? They all start rejecting me, and there was no more chances now. Now I had gone to the lowest of lows to everybody in my life, and I was ready to take my life. And I called my son up, and I'm not sure if it was something that – um that I said, or if God was putting something in his heart, because I know that God had a different plan for me now. I know that things were going to change in my life, but I told him, I love you. I'm so proud of you while I'm on the phone. I'm talking to him because he actually answered it to me. He had just called me a fake Christian a couple of weeks before that and said he didn't want to talk to me because I had to tell him what I did. I couldn't lie because I was about to do life in prison. So I wanted to be as transparent as I could with him and let him know what happened? And but that day he said, you know, I forgive you, dad, before I hung up. Cause I was, about, I was like, all right, son, well, I love you. He's like, you know that I love you and I forgive you, you know? And so that's what was awesome about that is that 
in that moment, I love you, dad. I forgive you. Something changed. It was like that paradigm shift. It was like God was speaking to me. And I went back because for the first month and a half, I was in jail. I wouldn't pick up the Bible. I wouldn't pray. Get away from me. Anybody who was coming to my cell was like, get away from me. I, I'm just a fake. I, I don't even want nothing to do with God. There's no, I don't want nothing to do with him. It was like almost like I was mad at him for something that I did for my actions. And so I dropped on my knees that day and I begged for forgiveness. I dropped on my knees and I cried like, like I've never cried. And I, since that day, I've become a big crybaby now. And um, uh, I begged him for forgiveness with a contrite heart. And I said, Lord, if I have to do life in prison, because it wasn't the first time I'd been in prison. This was like the third time I'd been in prison. And incarcerated, I've probably been incarcerated a hundred times in my life. But God, but I got on my knees and I said, please, if I have to do life in prison, just use me. Just let me be your hands. Just let me be your feet. Let me share your word with others. Because when you're in jail, men are always kind of like a revolving door. They're always coming in and out, in and out, in and out, catching little petty crimes. So I saw it was my chance to share with people. And so I did that day. I started picking up the Bible and I actually told my mom, hey, mom, will you send me in a Catholic Bible? You know, even though a lot of people weren't talking to me, I said, will you please send me in a Catholic Bible? So she sent me in, a, I think it was an NR. N-R-S-B-R-E or something like that. It's not my standard Bible that I like to use because I use the Dewey Rames now, but it was still it was still a Catholic Bible with the still with the study part on the bottom. And so I started reading it. I started reading it every day. And on top of that, actually, we made a rosary out of a trash bag. Hmm. So I that was always my hardest part of the conversion, was the Blessed Virgin, understanding who my queen was, understanding her commitment to interceding for us. Like she did at the wedding in Cana, you know, when she asked Jesus to turn the water into wine. I could never grasp that idea, but I knew that somehow I needed to be new. And in order for me to be new, I had to ask my mother, because I never had a good relationship with my mom, never had a good relationship with any woman that I've had in my life. Like, like I was telling you during this story right now, just never respected women. I needed something more. So I started praying the rosary every day and not just praying it, like not just saying, oh, okay, I have a rosary. I'm going to pray with it. No, but actually learning what all the mysteries are, each, each of the days of the mysteries and the effects that those mysteries and contemplating on Jesus's life and her intercession would have on my life. And then I started going cell to cell and I would share scriptures every day. Every day, kind of like I do on my YouTube channel right now. I'm not getting too big in the apologetics on my YouTube channel. I just share a scripture, a short, every single day because there is power in evangelization through the word of God. I can get all into the apologetics. I love apologetics, but I wasn't doing that at this moment. I knew a lot of people were non-Catholics there, and so I just wanted to share Jesus. I just wanted to share him and him, him and him crucified. That was everything to me. And so praise God, he gave me this form to do that. And so while I'm doing that, I'm still struggling with forgiving myself. And so praise God, um, uh, I asked for a priest to come and see me because we don't have a priest there. They actually send me Father Stephen Porter. He's out in Banning at St. Kateri. But when they sent him to come talk to me, he was actually at the place I was baptized because I was baptized as a baby. Even though I never knew the faith, I was baptized as a baby. So um, the place where I was actually um, baptized at, he came from that place, St. Catherine of Siena and Rialto. And I'm thinking in my head, is this is this is like this is pretty amazing. I can't believe this is actually happening right now. Like I'm really blown away by it. So he talks to me and I tell him I understand God's forgiveness, but I don't forgive myself. And this man's like six foot four. 
he's tall, maybe tall. He's from South Africa. He stands up and he says, how dare you? How dare you disrespect God? And I'm like, I'm thinking in my head, I'm thinking in my head, what's going on? You know, like how, what's this, that's, what's this that's happening? And he tells me, how can you say that you forgive God or that God forgives you? I mean, sorry. How can you say that God forgives you, but you don't forgive yourself? God, Jesus died on the cross for you so you could forgive yourself. How dare you? Dis and so at that moment, it, I started grasping that idea right there. How can I say God forgives me, but I don't forgive myself when Jesus died on the cross for me? If I proclaim that, then I should be forgiving myself and loving myself. I've made mistake, mistakes, but those mistakes don't define who I am. Jesus, wait, where is that? Let me go this way. Jesus died on the cross for us. That's what defines who I am. And at that moment, I understand that. And you know what? He gave me the Eucharist that day. I didn't have my first communion. And I'm not saying people to go out there and take it without having your first communion or being confirmed. I'm not saying that. But he knew the efficacious powers and the graces that are within the Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ that is present right there. He knew what it was going to do for me. He knew I needed those graces. And so through the bars, he actually gives me the Eucharist. He does. And I tell him, hey, Father, I, I don't have my first communion. He goes, no, you're Catholic. You were baptized Catholic. You're a Catholic. He, and he gave it to me. He didn't have to explain nothing else after that. Of course, later on in life, I understand what it's doing to me. Because I already believed it was the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because I had a catechism that I was reading. I was already going through doctrine. I'd already gone through the um, bread of life discourse at this time. Um, just really grasping the sacraments and stuff. Um, it's something that's important for everybody to really know those things. And so as I, as I continue going to court, after I saw him, I went to court. This is about a year and a half later. The judge tells me they're only going to give me 10 years. But I told God, if I have to do life in prison, just let me use you, please. Just, I mean, just let, just use me, Lord, please just use me as much as you can help me to, to transform these men that are inside of here. Cause it's, it's a prison full of demons. We're all lost in there. We're all struggling through all of our own addictions, hurts, habits, and hangups. Use me to spread your light in this darkness. And so the judge tells me that he's going to drop my case from a second-degree murder to a, in the a case of evading arrest. Um, it's like a vehicle code 2800.3 that I would only get 10 years with 80%. So I would like to do six and a half years. And I couldn't believe it. I started crying and weeping and just giving him thanks because I really believe that I deserve to do more because a beautiful man lost his life and his family still hurts because of me, you know, and I, um, I forgive myself, but I use it as a fuel for myself every day to preach the gospel every single day to not be lax, to go 150% all the time. So they send me upstate to a prison. And so now I'm like, okay, I'm going upstate to prison. Now I can have mass. Now I can be connected with the priest up there. But it was hard to find that at first. So I started finding myself doing Bible studies on my own, teaching the faith, but just teaching the Bible, really still reading all my Catholic books, like 10 books would send me stuff. Catholic Answers sent me hundreds of books. Thank you, Catholic Answers. Um, Ignatius Press. Thank you, Ignatius Press. Sent me all kinds of stuff. Actually, this was the Bible that the New Testament that they sent me right here, the Ignatius Press study Bible with the four words by Scott Hahn. They sent me a lot of stuff. Um, St. Paul's School of Theology, um, which is with Scott Hahn um, out there from Steubenville, they actually started sending me a lot of different um, doctrines and teachings 
about covenants, about the sacraments. And I just started reading them every day, reading them every day. And then finally I get to a prison setting where it's like, all right, I'm going to have a mass. Nope. There's no priest on the yard. We have no mass. And I'm like, ah, I'm not going to be able to get confirmed. I, I want to get my communion. I want to get confirmed. I was so eager to get it done. I just wanted to be in full communion with the church. I was so on fire. So I actually started being a part of a Protestant um, ministry. And so everybody knew I was Catholic, but I kind of thought, I kind of think they thought I was going to capitulate like most Catholics do in prison, because we heard on ministries in prison, we heard in there, the Protestants will have in one month, every Sunday, they'll have a different Protestant ministry come in. Catholics, maybe once a month, maybe once a month. So that is such a large portion of our faith, especially when 25% of Latinos in our faith have actually left the church. And I, and I believe it's a big part of that reason is the evangelization within prisons and the evangelization on the streets in America. So 25% in the last 12 years, 25% of Latinos have left the church. And I'm a, I'm a testament to that. I saw it in prison. All of them were leaving the faith because they just don't have the evangelization in there. And we don't know the doc. They don't know the doctrine growing up. I believe confirmation and communion should be done at a later age so that they're more conscious of what they're doing what they're believing, you know, more later in their teens, not so young communion, not so young confirmation, drag it out into the late teens. Um, it just, cause they, then they're, they're more smarter than they can actually embrace their faith a lot stronger than. So while being in there, I'm preaching. So, you know, I'm, I'm an ex Protestant. So I'm preaching in their circles. They're giving me 30 minutes. I have hundreds of different sermons that I've taught. Sometimes I would bump heads with them because they would be sort of catholic leaning sermons you know and i would break it down through the faith like faith and works where salvation is baptism eucharist i would i would teach them this and so afterwards their leaders would get at me and so i was a part of the praise and worship teams i love praise music i love praise music is worshiping god twice contemporary christian music or gregorian everything hymns but it's praying twice you know when you're singing praise because you're praying to god and you're praising god at the same time and so I'm in those ministries with them. Uh, all of a sudden, I'm looking, I'm on the yard working out one day, and I see a guy with like a one of those beach hats come in. He's a tall black guy. He's dressed like, I could see he's like dressed like a priest over there. And he got this blue, aqua blue sun hat on. He's from Nigeria, you know? And, I, and all of a sudden, I run over there to see who it is. And yeah, it is. It's a Nigerian priest named Father Titus E.B., this man, Father Titus, if you ever hear, see this, I have yet to talk to him again. He became my spiritual director for two years. He became my, my, my father, my big brother. He became my guide. He chastised me when I needed chastising. He put me in check when I needed to be checked. But he also listened to me when I would have to tell him, hey, Father, that's uh, don't, don't judge us like that, please. I know this is your first prison setting. And he was so open and loving to having me be the facilitator there, setting up the altars, doing Bible studies, catechism teacher. But as I started doing all this, the Protestants noticed it. And so now I started being attacked by all their leaders. And what they were faint to realize is that I was just like them at one time. And every question they came at me with, the Catholics, not only did I know it because I was reading the catechism and all these books, but I had a Catholic survival guide, too, that I had gone through the entire thing. Catholic Answers has a Catholic survival guide. I don't know if you ever heard of it. No. It has a little life wrapped on it, but it gives you all of our doctrines in it. It gives you all the teachings. Tim Staples, Trent Horn, 
Joey Heschmeyer, Scott Hahn, Peter Kreft. They're all in there and they're giving you the teachings of our faith. And then there's even sections on how to refute Seventh-day Adventists, how to refute Jehovah Witnesses, how to refute Mormons, how to refute Calvinists, Lutheran, history of the church. It breaks it all down. I had that. It has a little life raft on the front of it. So it's called the Catholic Survival Guide by Catholic Answers, and it's orange. And so I, I was already reading through all that, and I was learning the faith. Us converts, we have to learn the faith, because a lot of us converts are so anti-Catholics at one time that we have to get into those scriptures and understand, okay, I was already a Bible-reading Christian. Now I'm a Bible-reading Catholic Christian, the original Christians. And so I started reading it, and I started grasping it. And so when they would come to me, I would refute them. They didn't know what to do. I would show them in scriptures. I would be clear. Boom, 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 boom. I started showing them, and they're like, sorry, bro, you can't speak in our groups no more. You can't be a part of the praise and worship team. I even went to their chapel, and I said, man, when is there going to be a time when all Christians can come together? We just fellowship on the yard instead of you guys being such anti-Catholics, you know, so anti-us. When is there going to come a time? And he goes, I don't know. He told me he was a Methodist. He goes, I don't know. You know, because I was I, I had become pretty close with them, too, because I was started becoming a part of their leadership. And so they took me out of their groups. But in the for the for the next two and a half years after that, I taught catechism. I got my first communion in there. I set up the altars. I had Bible studies because the priest is only on the yard four hours a week because he has seven other yards to be on. So he has all these other yards that he has to be on. So I was given that authority as the Catholic facilitator, like the head layman in there to, to do all these things. And I wanted to Bible studies every day, catechism with like six different guys. I didn't just come into the faith when I got confirmed. I brought in six brothers with me. So a messianic Jew, two Protestants, a Jehovah Witness, and a couple atheists. They were all neighbors with me where I was living. I was, God had me so on fire. I just wanted to share the faith every day, this joy, this, this endurance, the perseverance, the strength that only comes from the Holy Spirit and the guidance that we have right here in the Catholic Church. I, I It was infectious. God was reaching out to them. And so when I got confirmed, praise God, I got a Six brothers actually came in with me. So it was seven of us that actually got confirmed. While I was in there, God put more. My spiritual awakening was happening. I was on fire. But he's like, okay, now I want you to get educated. I'm a junior high dropout. And so high school diploma. I got a degree in theology through a Protestant college actually because there we didn't have we didn't have catholic ministries like that in there so through um it's actually an anglican school i got it through i would debate them the whole entire time but i wasn't going to quit i was going to actually I, I was the first roman catholic to walk with this college in los angeles in 2000 and 2021 i actually walked and got my degree they handed it to me and I had my rosary on the whole time. And I think I had the same Benedict medal too on me. And the entire time, and I talked to them at this graduation. This was on the streets. But while I was incarcerated, I didn't. I wasn't going to give up. I got a degree in social and behavioral science. I became a Christian peer counselor while I was in there. I was a MAC rep. So I was a representative for all the Christians that were on our yard too. And so anything that I could do, self-help groups, because I wanted this complete transformation to happen. And I knew I needed all, God had put all these different, all these different, um, ah, what would I call them, groups 
to help me transform the education, to transform this renewing of my mind. Don't be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It was going to happen because he put all these things before me. Not only was I getting spiritually yoked, now I was going to become a man who could talk properly. Even though sometimes I still have my sling, but the way I talked, the way I acted, the way I smile, the way I love, the way my intelligence started transforming the way I would see the world now would start evolving because of this moment that happened on August 15th, August 19th, 2015, when Randolph Stevenson lost his life. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.